0: Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter. So you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content.
1: was called right at the beginning of the pandemic. This was kind of my first big leadership position in the church and really in life in general. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And with the pandemic, it just made things more crazy. You know, listening to Leading Saints has helped me stay focused and given me some really great ideas. And especially like the Release Society content, like just being able to jump into there and be like, okay, what should I do? What are like top 10 things should I start with? That really helped out a ton. I went into you know, how to do ministering interviews, how to really connect with some, with these ladies. Because I, I felt many times that I was too young to really talk to some of these older ladies and just kind of being a little uncomfortable. So like Deanna Murphy's podcast, her episode was amazing and really changed the way that I did everything. I mean, it, I went from night to day. I, I totally changed the format and everything and told my counselors how to do it, had them all listen to it and it's been great.
0: Hello, world. This is the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, your host. I welcome you back. If you're new to Leading Saints, let me tell you a little about what we are and who we are and, and what we do here. See, we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And so through this podcast, we talk all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint. Maybe it's for a specific calling or just leading at home or just being a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Because I truly believe Good leadership is good discipleship, and uh, whether we're leading ourselves or others. And we have a great website at LeadingSaints.org. Be sure to—you're on the newsletter that we send out every week. And you can go to LeadingSaints.org, go to the About page. You'll get it all. If you're a bishop, I don't know if you know this, you can go to LeadingSaints.org slash bishop, and there is a plethora of content. If you are a Elder Scorn president, I think we have a slash Elder Scorn president and Relief Society president— you can do slash Relief Society, and you'll find all sorts of content. Or you can go to LeadingSaints.org, whatever calling you are. And right at the top, there's some buttons related to your calling that you can click on and find more episodes that'll help you lead more effectively. Now, this episode, we talk with Jeff Harbach, who is a the president and CEO of Kaufman Fellows, which uh, he'll tell a little bit more about that business and organization. But they essentially help uh, venture capitalists be better venture capitalists, and they also do some venture capital as well and if you don't know what a venture capitalist is it's like Shark Tank but you know there's people out there that are do what you see on Shark Tank they invest in companies that have potential and uh, hopefully get a return on that and so i always love to talk with professionals who also happen to be leaders in the church because jeff is also a bishop in Austin Texas and naturally you're going to pull leadership principles from your professional life into your religious life and vice versa. And so we talk about this and he gives some remarkable advice, articulates some wonderful principles that leaders can think about in when you're leading in a world of uncertainty, right? Because we're in December or December of 2020. I bet other years by this time you had like the full calendar of the next year was all planned out. What activities, maybe themes and visions and whatever it is, but now you're like, ugh. I don't know. Like, Should we even plan on anything? I think we can just take week to week. right? But no, that is not what dynamic leaders do. You've got to establish vision, even when it's uncertain. And Jeff gives us some uh, great points and tips and perspectives to do that. Now, for youth leaders, he gives some remarkable examples uh, that have worked in his area. And you may find those helpful to hear, but just obviously what the other youth leaders are doing. And so he great. You'll enjoy sort of what his word did and how he inspired the youth to set goals in these uncertain times and uh, how to have a remarkable transformational experience in doing so. So you're going to love it. Here is my interview with Jeff Harbach. Today, I'm connecting with uh, Jeff Harbach. Jeff, you are a bishop down in, is it Dallas or? Austin, right? Texas. Austin, I mean, what's the difference, really? Every Texan oh, is Oh, come on, come on. There's a huge
2: uh, <laughs> difference. Just, just talk to anybody in Ken Austin. Right. Well,
0: I know it, I know it. So, Austin, Texas, and uh, you, you've got an interesting job down there. What, what is it you do, Jeff, other than being a bishop?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I'm the CEO of an organization called Coffin Fellows, and Coffin Fellows has been around for about 25 years, and we focus on the world of venture capital. Um, specifically, we have a program that helps uh, individual investors, venture capitalists or innovation leaders become the best version of themselves because we believe that if you're a better person you can be a better investor. And so we have a 2-year program that people go through where they learn the different traits about how you know self um, actualization, self-realization, self-assessments, understanding where their triggers are, where their uh, performance is best. And uh, as they learn more about themselves, then they can understand better how they can serve the entrepreneurs that they invest in. So we run a two-year program that mm. helps the, them be better at that. We also run a fund that invests in entrepreneurs alongside our, our investors. And it's a really cool organization. You know, I said, we've been around for 25 years. We're about 700 fellows across 53 different countries. So it's, uh, it's, it's really a lot of fun.
0: So you not only help uh, potential entrepreneurs, but you also help uh, venture capitalists be better venture capitalists?
2: That's right. We actually spend our time mainly with the venture capitalists. So our program is for venture capitalists. We don't run any training programs for entrepreneurs. There are plenty of really good ones for that. Uh, But we focus on the service layer, the venture capitalists. So our program is all for the VCs because, you know, again, as an entrepreneur your journey as an entrepreneur and you've had some entrepreneurs on your podcast before but as your entrepreneur your journey is you know kind of million miles a minute up and down all over the place highs and lows and that's all before 12 in a day i mean there's just so much going on and you know for us as an investor if we walk into that meeting with you whether it's a boardroom setting or whether it's just one of our check in phone calls whatever that is, if we walk in and we're bringing our own insecurities or our own stresses to that conversation, to that interaction, we're just going to amplify the highs and lows for that entrepreneur. Our job is to be a calming influence to be able to help them sort through things as best we can and to bring our pattern recognition from other areas and working with other entrepreneurs to those conversations. So, you know, that's that's what we really focus on, helping the the investors be the best version of themselves so that they can be a calming influence and a support system for these entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah and, and this is exactly why I wanted to uh, talk with you because if you step back and lay that uh, that model on top of church leadership you know that's a lot of the roles that leaders in the church play right? as a bishop you're there's ups and downs in people's lives and you're you want to be a calming voice rather than one that sort of adds to the stress
2: you know it's exactly right Kurt i it's not lost on me that there is a, i think we all hope that we have vocations or jobs where there's a lot of intersect in the way that we live our lives and the things that we're most passionate about. And for me, there's a ton of of overlap. I mean, I spend my time uh, really counseling with these global innovation leaders on things like partnership issues, on things like firm issues, on things like founder issues and and, uh, conversations that are happening. Sometimes it's even, you know, troubles with a the marriage. These are the things that we're helping them through because these are the real things of life. If we can help solve these things and make these things better for them, then they become that better version of themselves that can be really supportive to those entrepreneurs. And that's that's the same thing we do in our ministry. We help to, you know, our goal is to reach out, to love, to support, to serve where we can, to counsel. And uh, in my current uh, calling and service as a bishop, to counsel together with individuals to help them you know, be better, be the best version of themselves. So there's a lot of overlap in what I do kind of the called the nine to five and then the five to nine.
0: And so that's what I love these interviews where we find, you know, dynamic leaders in the professional world, and we see how they've carried over some of those leadership principles they've learned in that arena into the church leadership arena. So, and especially when you talk about uncertain times, you know, fear that people are dealing with, you know, the pandemic, as we're we're recording this in in December of 2020. But you know, this is a time where people are trying to plan for the next year wards are right. It's like, well, we don't even know if the, the spring picnic or summer picnic is going to happen or, you know, so it's easy to just sort of freeze and have this paralysis of let's just wait it out and see what happens. And then we're just throwing it together and so forth. So, what principle do we start with when considering leading in the midst of uncertain times?
2: Oh, man, great question. I you know I think it'd be fun to do a straw poll of your listeners or just a straw poll of members across, let's just take the US, for example, and see how many of them are having to alter their plans for their Christmas right. gathering or how many of them are even able to get together. Uh, certainly, I know that's a, that's a topic of conversation in our work council right now. You know, when we think about... Principles, I think the first thing that we want to think about is the why. Why are we doing the different take it activities or ministering assignments or things that we do? Why do we do them? And in the church, in church leadership, it is all about gathering Israel and bringing individuals closer to Christ and helping them along the covenant path. That is the entire reason of why we do what we do. And so that's our main focus. And as we think about, you know, kind of this world, I mean, gosh. You know, it's been so talked about, the the fear and uncertainty in the world. And I don't want to overplay that again because I know it's been talked about a lot even on this podcast, but it, it can't be overlooked that each of us, you know, we're experiencing something that nobody has ever experienced before in the sense that we have kind of these four concurrent crises going on, you know, with a financial crisis, with a health crisis, with a mental health crisis. And then with this, you know, the racial injustice crisis that we've experienced here in the U.S. And then on top of that, with the U.S., you, you factor in a turbulent election. There's just so much going on that have had people feeling so uncertain and so driven by fear. And, you know, it's science tells us the brain handles bad news better than it handles uncertainty. Like, just give me the mm-hmm. bad news. Tell me what it is. I yeah. can feel better than that, better about that than I can about feeling like I, I'm having something that I don't know or I'm uncertain about. So, you know, we really take this and and we think about what is the world giving us and what can we make sense of uh, for this? And so I think first, what is the world giving us? Well, is there's times where we're feeling uncertainty and fear and we're motivated by this or we're, we're, we're feeling overwhelmed by this, maybe not motivated, but feeling overwhelmed by it. I think first we have to recognize where does uncertainty and fear come from? And I very strongly believe that certainty and fear come from uncertainty and fear come from the adversary. That is, frankly, that is Satan's home court advantage. He wants us to feel uncertain. He wants us to feel fear. And that is not at all what we as leaders uh, in life and as leaders in the gospel should be feeling. We should know and have a strong testimony that if there is one individual that is completely certain about what we're going through right now, it is our Savior, Jesus Christ he knows exactly what this time is meant uh, to be. He knows exactly what we're going through right now. In fact, he knows that this was meant to happen at this time. You know, we've just had the opportunity to listen to, um, you know, our prophet and apostles in general conference. And then most recently, uh, just a short while ago, our prophet and president Nelson give us that message on gratitude. And I don't know about you, Kurt, but I did not detect any hint of fear or uncertainty from the brethren when they were telling us about the things that we should be thinking about and looking forward to. We had messages of of hope, messages of gratitude, messages of being recommended to the Lord, messages of, you know, seeing people as others would see them, as the Lord would see them. These are the things that we have to focus on, I believe. So, when when we talk about going back to first principles and where do we start, we start with the why, and the why is knowing that we have a Heavenly Father that loves us, a savior, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, who is real and is certain about exactly what is going on at this moment. And then we start to build from there.
0: Yeah. And, and I appreciate that. Like I, a lot of, uh, I think most words have, have heard that message, maybe from the, the lectern on, on Sunday or, you know, via zoom or whatever it is of that, you know, that God wasn't surprised by this pandemic nor was Jesus Christ. And, and here we are. Right. And, and it could feel uncertain. I guess my, it's, it's one of those things of like, it makes for a good message from the lectern, but how do we infuse that into the culture of our organizations? Like, what does it actually look like day to uh, day? Because sometimes it's sort of like, yeah, have faith, know this, and all right, we'll see you. And it's like, well, I still am uncertain. Right. It's still hard, you know? So is there like another step we could take to really apply that principle as we lead
2: organizations? Oh, totally. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? It's it's, it's yeah. awesome to talk about it. It's the, the whole act is in doing it. The whole act is in execution. I mean, I'll give some, some thoughts on what we've been thinking about and what I've been thinking about, but I, there is definitely no one way to do this. And I'm sure there's lots of ways uh, to, to kind of figure this out. But for us, the tactical piece has been about, okay, well, let's, let's evaluate the things that we're doing. And again, going back to first principles, the why. Why do we do the things that we do? So using a very relevant or recent example... I'll talk to you about our Christmas gathering. I mean, we've been talking about this saying, hey, we thought that maybe we'd be able to gather together in a maybe an outdoor space and keep social distancing and, and kind of do this. And then we just, as a war council, felt like, you know, that's that's not going to be possible. That's not, that's not going to be honoring kind of the laws of the land and, and, and keeping people safe. Um, and so it would be very easy to say, well, then maybe we should just cancel. Let's just cancel and let's wait till the next time we can actually get together in person. And so it caused us to go back to the why, cause us to, as a ward council, say, okay, well, then why do we do these things? Why do we have a Christmas program or Christmas gathering in the first place? Well, it's to help people feel the spirit of Christmas and help bring them closer to their Savior, Jesus Christ. It's to feel the power and the spirit of gathering and to make sure that we're doing that. Uh, It's to have some fun with, with each other and with our ward members, and it's to give people an opportunity for service. And so, that then challenged us to go, okay, Let's take those, let's take the why, those four things in the why and go, is there a way for us to do that differently in a different way than we have before? And I think that really gets to the core of where the rubber meets the road. It's us asking ourselves the real question, is there a way to still accomplish the work of salvation, the work that we know we're supposed to be doing, but in a different way? And I would testify that there absolutely is. But that takes, that that gets uncomfortable for us. That means that we have to actually, there's, you know, as I know many, many faithful members, and I'm not talking about our own word, I'm just talking about in general, many faithful, good people that me included, that, you know, we've been called to, you know, calling before. I know when I was called to be the gospel doctrine instructor, I was like, okay, I've seen other people do gospel doctrine. I can, I can totally do that. I teach a you know, lesson every Sunday. Great. I was in total rinse and repeat mode. And it took me a little while in the calling to go, you know what, maybe I should actually look in the handbook and see what it says about, you know, gospel instruction and and see what it says about the Lord's way of, of teaching. I, I think to to push ourselves to learn the different way or the new way of doing it, we got to first go back to why are we doing this in the first place and learn about it from the materials that we have, like our general handbook of instruction, and then go from there. Say, what are the different ways that we can do this? And I'm happy to talk about some of the ways that we're doing it, but... I can testify that there are definitely ways. We figured out a new way for the Christmas program, for example, We're we're going to do something different. And who knows? You know, we're going to try. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe it won't. But I think the Lord is inviting us and imploring us to figure out new ways to accomplish the work of the Lord uh, with all the talents that we've been blessed with.
0: Yeah. You sort of answered this question already with, with that statement but I'm curious, like when, when a ward or an organization an elder score and elders quorum president comes down to setting vision, you know, everybody that listens to this knows that I'm big on setting clear vision because that's really what what propels an organization forward. But with that uncertainty, you know, it's like, we don't even know if we can hold the the chili cook off, you know, this year. Uh, and so because we can't plan stuff, we sort of hesitate on setting a vision or, I feel like people just sort of hit the surface. They think, well, what do we want to do? We want to bring people into Christ. So there's that vision, but it's so ambiguous. And it's just sort of like, yeah, that looks good on like, maybe, uh, you know, cross-stitched on a wall, but what are we supposed to do with that? So, and, uh, and obviously in your professional life, I would imagine as you work with entrepreneurs, you're encouraging them to set some type of vision or have projections or, but that's hard to, to think about because you don't know what the world looks like in six months, right? So any thoughts on really getting down on the nuts and bolts of setting a vision in uncertain times?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you're right that if you set a vision that isn't executable that you're just going to, it's going to be a nice thing to put on the wall, you know, kind of like the, I love the Notre Dame, you know, in the play like a champion today or whatever. Yeah. And that's great. But what happens when you actually get to it? So for us, you know, with entrepreneurs, we're always asking them to you know set your goals, set your vision, their quarterly and their annual goals. and we know that as we're setting these as, in a, as part of a board setting, we know that some of those are going to be met, some of those are not going to be met. So that's okay. We know the financial projections are still uh, they are dependent on many different variables that you cannot always control. And so but it doesn't take away the, the importance of setting a vision, then setting some measurable goals behind that and seeing if, you know, what you can do to make impact towards those. So, we take that to our work council meetings, or we take that to our callings and our, our ministering assignments. As a work council this year, you know, in 2020, the beginning of 2020, we got together and we said, all right, what are our goals going to be for this year? This was pre-COVID. So, this was just us kind of going through our normal, you know, how are we going to set our goals? We We had multiple different meetings about this because we wanted to make sure that we're doing it in a thorough fashion. But we said, we want the entire ward council to come together and to have what Elder Brednar describes as a revelatory experience in a meeting, not just, you know, checking off boxes. And let's have a revelatory experience about what should we be looking to accomplish in our ward. And we tried to make them very actionable and very measurable. And we did that. And you know, then we we kind of finalized them. Literally, our final document was on—I think it was on like March eighth or something like that—right before COVID hit. And so we got together in another ward council meeting in April, and we said, "Well, all right." And back in April, I don't know if anybody remembers what it felt like in April, but back in April, we we're still kind of jumbled and going, "Maybe this is going to last another couple of weeks. Maybe it's you know, who knows?" I don't think anybody felt in April that here we would be in December still you know, doing, you know, what we're doing with all of our different, uh, you know, ministering assignments in, in a much different way. But at that time, we said, all right, how are we going to change? What are we going to do differently now to still accomplish these measurable goals? So back to your question, Kurt, I think going from vision to actual execution means that people have to recognize that sometimes those things are going to look uh, different, but they always have to be measurable. And you have to focus on things that you can kind of say, all right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see in two months, three months, six months, 12 months, did we make an impact there? And it's, you know, some people get scared of goals. I know there were some people that were in our ward and in some, some of our council meetings that have said, you know, I don't, I don't even like the word goal. There, there are many people that don't like that word. We almost changed it to intentions because this idea of goal setting uh, can strike fear in the hearts of some people. I believe that the reason why that is, is because you're setting unrealistic goals or you are um, holding yourselves to too high of a standard that you feel like you have to be perfect in every goal that you set. That is not the way that we're asked to set goals, in my opinion. We are asked to set goals because we want to um, set measurable steps to get to the vision that we have, that we've decided is, is for our organization. And whatever measurable steps we're going to take to get there, those are the things that are that are going to help us. And we shouldn't be scared of those. We should be okay if sometimes we don't we don't accomplish every one of those. So I can talk more about that. But you know, it's I think it's really yeah. about from going from vision to execution. It's all about setting you know, a big, hairy, audacious goal, and then the tiny, small habits that are going to get us to that.
0: Yeah, I guess what I'm learning or the thought that comes to mind is you know, an organization setting goals isn't necessarily. I mean, sure, they'd like to hit them, hit the target, but it's more about ha- uh, creating a place to aim, right? That even if you don't hit it, at least you're aiming somewhere with intention uh, and then maybe you'll hit it or maybe you won't, but at least you're, you're, you're progressing towards something rather than just sort of taking it as it comes at you or, you know, as the year goes on. Yeah. You know,
2: I, yes. And and Kurt, I, I think to make this as, as tangible as possible, I think what we often do as human beings is take vision as a very broad statement that just kind of is this feel-good, warm blanket. But then yeah. don't go down to the the nuts and bolts, as you were saying, about what does it mean to actually accomplish that vision. And the, the accomplishing that vision means that we have to get into the nitty-gritty details, and it means that we have to actually think about the people that we're serving and ministering to one-on-one. So, that means as a bishop, I need to think about the priest quorum. One on one, I need to think about doing as the Savior would do, which is meeting each one of those young men exactly where they are, and they are at different points in their life because they're just they're human beings. Um, you know, I have a, a dashboard that I use uh, for all of, of the the priests and the priest quorum. that is it has their name, it has we've gone through their kind of goal setting in the different four areas of the youth program. And then it's the tiny habits that they're going to hold themselves accountable to, to help them achieve those goals. And I look at that on a regular basis, because as I'm thinking about meeting that person one-on-one I'm thinking about what goals they've set for themselves and the small habits they're they're trying to follow to get them there so that I know that every interaction I have with them or every planning meeting we have or every presidency meeting we have or every ward council meeting we have where we're talking potentially about the ward, you know, the youth or every ward youth council meeting that we have, we're talking about the youth in general. I always have that in the back of my mind that this is what we're trying to do with this individual or this individual or this individual. So, I think that the tactics mean you have to really think on a very, very specific level of the individuals that you're serving. I think that starts with your presidency members. I think that goes on to the individuals that are serving in callings, and then it goes down to the individuals that you're ministering to. Uh, You've got to be very specific about those individuals and then take that as an aggregate to how you then are going to accomplish that overall vision through those tiny steps with those one-on-one ministering assignments.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine, you know, as you're focusing on specific individuals you're serving, I appreciate that phrase because it's easy for a bishop to feel like he needs to be in the nitty gritty details of every ward member, you know, in his ward. And that's overwhelming, you know, and, and you talk about it maybe in a state presidency, that's impossible to, to do that. Uh, but for you to f- focus, no, I'm going to focus on the youth and I'm going to be in the details there with each individual, uh, those youth, or maybe with my ward council members, I'm going to be there. So really f- and then and then obviously you're training maybe the Elders Corp president how to how he can do that in his own core, right? And making sure that you're you're not overwhelming yourself by trying to impact every person all at once and, and that's where it probably gets overwhelming.
2: Totally. I mean look, everybody has a different leadership style. And I I mean, may I don't know, maybe you ought to do a three sixty with all the World Council to see if I'm doing a good job or not. I, I don't know, but um, <laughs> I certainly know that I'm trying. And and here's here's the main point is that even though our leadership styles are different, we have inspired leadership that have given us the framework for how we should be leading. And that is empowering others to lead. You know, there's this word that we throw around a lot called delegation. And that's right. We do need to delegate. But there's so much incorrect connotation that goes along with that word of delegation. Some people might view it as, well, just, you know, You put it off and push it off to somebody else. Or you just, you know, say, you know, don't even respond when somebody asks and just let somebody else pick up the ball and and start running with it. True delegation, I think the the Lord's delegation means empowering individuals to be able to solve those, you know, the situations that come up for, you know, whatever ministering assignment they have on their own with, you know, through their own inspired, um, their inspiration through their own calling. Uh, some people um, have, you know, we, we all have under the keys of the bishop, you all have authority with your callings in a ward to receive inspiration on how you should serve the ministers that, or the individuals that you minister to. And that's super important. So, for individuals serving as a bishop, they shouldn't feel like they have to think about the entire ward and worry about every meeting every single one-on-one person individually because the Elders Quorum president should be doing that, and the Relief Society president should be doing that, and the primary president, and the Sunday school president, and the Young Women's president, and, you know, on and on. They're all doing this for the different members in their ward, and we have that framework, that inspired framework that's been given to us. Now, look, that's you could say that that's also really nice to put up on a wall, but tell me how it really is as a bishop. And I, I can say that, you know, in ministering in a time of COVID where I can't see people on a regular basis face-to-face... I do end up thinking about them and potentially even worrying about them more. I can tell you that on a what one-on-one ministry means to me is that, you know, I meet very regularly with our oldest quorum president and our oldest study president, and we go over individuals, you know, one by one. We have those meetings that we're uh, counseled to have. I go over our word lists, and I, I make sure that I'm reaching out to our different members at least twice a year to every single person, but sometimes, you know, quarterly, and for many of the members, more than that because it's just, I want them to know that they're thought about and they're loved. But for the very specific ministering, I know that my assignment is very clear and that I need to be focused on the youth uh, and I need to be focused on the priest quorum. And so there, that's where, after all those thoughts go on, I, I hopefully have get empowered our ward leaders to be able to feel like they can exercise the inspiration that they receive in their own callings to go and minister to the one. And then I, f- I focus on the individuals that I know I have direct stewardship over.
0: Yeah. And so give some more examples of just how some of these principles have been manifest in in your experience in your ward, Uh, you know, getting together with your ward council, establishing vision, goals, targets, uh, intentions, and uh, what's come from that and how do you see that going in 2021?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that we did, you know, as a follow-on to our goal setting in 2020 is in April, we got together and we said, all right, the the world's completely new where we need to think of a new way of doing this. And what I said to our work council, and we put this in a Google Doc, we said, in January 2021, we're going to be sitting around an award council meeting, we're going to be looking back on 2020. And we're gonna be sitting there going, all right, how do we do on our work goals? How do we do on the things that we wanted to accomplish this year? And this is what the conversation we had in April, we said, I guarantee you that we're not going to want to sit there in January 2021, going, ah oh, well, you know, we kind of just push pause on those goals because, you know, things yeah. changed and, you know, the, the world was different and, and, you know, we want to do that, but we decided not to do that because we couldn't get together in person, and, you know, kind of all these caveats. And what we all agreed upon as a word council was like, look, I guarantee that the Lord is going to be sitting there in 2021. And then he's not going to want to hear, oh, I pushed pause because of X or Y he's going to, he's going to want to hear, what did we do to really minister in a new and different way? And so we challenged ourselves as a work council to say, I believe that this is an invitation from the Lord to figure out a new way of ministering. We talked about this a little bit, but let me go into a more specific way. I think that we have to use all the talents that we've been given, all the talents that we've been blessed with, and apply them to new ways of leadership. I think that we're being given this opportunity to not be the the previous young women's president that we used to be or the previous... Elders, corn president, or primary president. I think this is an opportunity to bring a new uh, version of those callings. And so, what we did is we said, "What does new look like for us?" And I want you. To, I, I, we challenged each of the work council members to come up with one new thing that they were going to do that they've never done in the past in their calling in order to minister. What's just one new thing? And we came up with a lot of great things. There was some. You know, we did a bunch of virtual meetings, and we did a. Um, you know, there's been lots of really great examples of this all over the church and all over the world of individuals that have found new ways of ministering. One thing that I was thinking about is I was, I was on one of my morning runs and a friend had just put this, had just sent me this email about this website Masterclass. And I'm not trying to plug Masterclass, but it's just yeah. this idea of, you know, you bring in a bunch of different experts in a different area and they teach you about the topic that they're a subject matter, matter expert in. And I was just, I was on this run, I was like, gosh, at the same time, I was thinking, how am I going to get the youth to really be excited about goal setting? (laughs) You know, here we are in April, we've just, you know, canceled all of our summer plans. We, you know, EFY or FSY has now been, you know, canceled. Like everything that the youth, you know, typically look forward to a lot of their summer trips have been canceled. All the things they look forward to are likely not going to happen now. And the last thing that they want to hear from their bishop is, hey, everybody, let's talk about some goals. Like, this is going to be so fun. Uh, they're going to be like, oh, my nice. gosh, please, Bishop, no, like, we don't want to hear about this. And so I was really searching for how can we make goal setting new and exciting and fun and just, and just do something different. And so what we did, what we kind of came up with is we meshed this idea of this master class. And so, we brought in experts based on goal setting. So, we started to set these, Talk to the Ward Youth Council first, and we, we kind of gathered together some ideas about this. And then we set this speaker series, and we called it the Summer of Heroes. And we said, you know, we're going through this, the really fun times in the Book of Mormon as we were reading through Come Follow Me in the summer. There were going to be some great Book of Mormon heroes, you know, coming through there with Alma and Alma the Younger and the Sons of Mosiah and all these, you know, really great heroes. Maybe we could do a program where we learned from these heroes about how they set goals. What did that look like for them? And bring them in to talk to our youth. And so our Summer of Heroes challenge for them was each week we had a different challenge. And each week we'd bring in a speaker and we'd have two youth interview these speakers and it was this really fun thing where they asked them about goals. And it was an opportunity for me to work with individual youth on a, a different weekly basis to to prep them for these interviews, to kind of walk them through the things that they were maybe nervous about. But at the end of the day, they, they were really excited. And we were we were super blessed to have amazing people, people like... You know, Lindsay Sterling, who is just an absolute, she's just amazing. Um, Andy Roddick, who's not a member of our church, but a you know formerly number one ranked tennis player in the world. Or um, we had you know, Ben Lomu, who is an absolute, just awesome, awesome uh, individual. He played King Lamoni uh, in the Book of Mormon videos that came out this year. So, the kids oh, wow. would be like, cool. hey, that's King Lamoni. And he was the, <laughs> the hero for that week was King Lamoni. And, you know, that's not the typical, you think you typically think that the hero for that week uh, in the Book of Mormon was Ammon. But he brought to us why we should be thinking about King uh, King Lamoni as being a hero, uh, which was amazing. And we had, um, you know, the wonderful Sister Craig and the wonderful Brad Wilcox from the Young Men's and Young Women's Presidencies. And we had people like Coach Mark Pope from the BYU basketball team, who's like just the most energetic, you know, fun person in the world. And all these incredible people, Justin Sua, who's a, mental strength coach for the Tampa Bay Rays, all these people are basically coming in and talking to our youth about setting goals and you know what they think about setting goals and why they set them and, and what they were scared about and what were some of the reasons why they didn't like even the word goal? what were some of the things that they what were some goals that they didn't accomplish and what are the things that they're scared of are there you know that cause them to feel like they can't move forward? We just had some really amazing conversations. And so this was the new thing that we thought of doing for the youth. And we gave them challenges all throughout the, the summer. And at the end of the summer, we looked back and went, wow, the youth really had this plethora of, of 12 different speakers that gave them all different insights. Um, and I know that they really got a lot out of it. And we we did some follow-up, but I've been talking for a while. So I don't know, maybe you have some questions <laughs> about that.
0: No, I'm just, uh, pop some popcorn. I'm enjoying this. So this is, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, so I'm curious. I think, I just, I think people can hear that. And it's an awesome idea. And uh, first of all, like, how do you get those people? Like, how do you, I mean, I sort of know, I, it's amazing what, what people you can get on a, a podcast when you say, I, I have a podcast, and I want to interview you. But how does a, uh, a youth organization reach out to them? And was it hard to get them scheduled to, to do a presentation like that?
2: Well, yeah, I, I hope I didn't just, you know, sign up with a whole bunch of people to get a, a whole bunch of inbound, like, hey, can you also speak to us? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Um, but I would challenge, I mean, look, there are many, 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 there are heroes all around us. Uh, mm-hmm. There are individuals that are doing incredible things all around us. And, you know, we kind of started, we kept this this Google Doc within the Word Council about who would be the, you know, the home run people in different areas. And we just kind of kept on raising the bar and asking higher and higher and higher. And look, you don't get cool. what you don't ask for. And there are yeah. plenty of people that said no, or there are plenty of people that just never responded. And that's okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm super grateful for people that, that did respond and that responded you know to an invitation to speak to youth and to help to inspire youth. So the how is just think about, I, I guarantee you, every ward council, every individual, you know, if you think about the people that you've interacted with in your life and you know in your life, you, we all have individuals that are heroes that we know or, or other individuals that we know. And if you put this out to the ward council, or to other ward members, especially if it's to help the youth. I guarantee you, there's members of your ward that would be more than happy to make introductions to individuals that would be very happy to speak to the youth. They don't have to be the same list that I gave. I'm sure there's way better lists. I know there are other wards doing similar things and and getting other people to speak to their youth. It's just it's all about not being scared and just you know setting again setting a goal, writing down some names of people that you think would be great, putting the ask out there to other people in the ward because you don't get what you don't ask for. And then having faith that, you know, you'll get some people and and just do the best you can and go with whatever you get.
0: Yeah. You know, it takes me back. uh, Well, first of all, just how more likely this is with the technology we have with Zoom and whatnot, because back in the nineties, when I was a youth and I remember me and my best friend in my ward, we were both big Braves fans. And we were like, we've got to figure out how to get Dale Murphy to like come and do a fireside. Like, that'd be so cool. Right. And it was sort of a pie in the sky wish, like there's no, I mean, he'd have to, you know, back in the nineties technology, he'd have to be in town and, you know, and, and Throw come to traveling. our church and do, right. Where now it's like, I bet you Del Murphy, if you got an email from a youth group and wherever he'd be like, yeah, I'll jump on a zoom call. I got some stories I could share, you know, like it's just more likely to do that. And like you said, once you start reaching out, you realize, you know, it doesn't hurt if I email somebody and they don't respond back or they just say no, but they're going to say yes as well, you know, yeah, and a lot of them. That's exactly
2: right. And, and I would, I would add to this that, you know, anyone that gets, gets ideas from this, I love it. Please do. I would encourage you to think about, you know, remember that these individuals are people to whoever they are. And there's, we yeah. all know that the individuals that we would, you know, kind of put on the, our absolute top of the the hall of fame members of the church list that we would love to have speak to us in any capacity and just recognize that they're likely getting those asks from lots of different individuals, lots of different people. So, just just be yeah. kind you know I mean make the ask make it in full humility if they say no be be grateful that they even you know considered it if they don't respond don't take it as a slight to you just take it as hey they're just they're right. really busy and they're they're trying to do the lord's work the best they can in their own area of the vineyard but at the same time you know don't uh, don't be scared to ask you never know what you might get yeah. if, you, if you just ask
0: yeah. And I don't mean to hyper-focus on, on your idea and what your word did. Obviously, it worked for you. And that doesn't mean the way to succeed is you get these speakers to come and talk. Totally. You know, Obviously, it's a good idea. But I just like the the principle of you really thought of something outside the box, you you step back and just rather than defaulting to, I'm going to have a, a discussion about goals with my youth and the youth look at you and want to puke, right? right. Like, but you thought out of the box. So my next question is, and I see this, this is a tough dynamic to navigate when you're a youth leader, like a bishop, is there's been a lot of emphasis on allowing the youth to lead, right? And not taking over and doing it for the youth. So as you came up with these ideas or like, what did the process look like with involving the the youth? Because the, the tough thing that happens, this has been my experience is like intellectually, I think, okay, I'm going to let the youth lead. And the minute I do that, I sort of get a bunch of shrugged shoulders. And even if I sort of feed their vision a little bit, they're like, "Uh," and, and they don't even know where to begin to think out of the box because they don't even know where to think inside the box. Sometimes they're just like, I don't know. But then, so it's easy for the leaders to say, Hey, what if we had these speakers come talk? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. You know, but then you're like, ah, like I'm. I'm taking over again. So how did you navigate that? Or what did that look like as you put these plans together?
2: It's such a great question. And look, you know, we have, I'm blessed to serve with incredible youth. I'll respect to all the youth around the the world. But I just think, I just think this generation of youth is incredible. And I could not love the youth in our ward more. They are just amazing. And with that said, it's not always easy, right? I mean, these youth, the, the biggest thing, my heart goes out to the youth one of the ways my heart goes out to the youth the most is that they just have so much being asked of them right now you know their school is getting harder they're they're figuring out seminary there's you know more competition in schools and tests and there's more after school activities and every sport is asking for more and every band is asking for more and every everything that they're doing is asking for more and more and more of their time and then you throw into the fact that it's covid and now you know many of our youth are going to school in a virtual environment where teachers are trying to figure that out and bless their hearts. I have a lot of love and respect for our teachers trying to just figure things out the way that they are right now. But I mean, they're in a lot of cases, they're getting even more work and even more homework and even more projects when it feels like at times maybe they should be getting less. So, I have a lot of empathy for our youth. And I think that if we just go into this thinking. Well, of course, they're capable. Well, of course, they're smart, which they absolutely are capable and absolutely are smart. We can just give it to them. We'll let them do it. You know, I think that there's, what is this? What is the phrase? We tend to overestimate their experience and underestimate their ability, I think, from Elder Holland. You know, their experience is part of this piece. I think that as we help them, we have to recognize that they're going to be in different places of being able to lead and we have to meet them one on one. So what does that look like for us? What we've done with our youth is, you know, we invite them into the process. We make sure that we are counseling together. I try as a leader, and I encourage our other leaders as well, to try not be kind of the polar opposites of leaders, either waiting for it to see if the youth do it. And if they don't, we just completely take over and we run it 100%. Or the completely opposite end of the spectrum is, hey, look, I'm not going to do anything. So if they don't do it, they can sink or swim and, you know, they'll learn from their failure. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's great, but I'd much rather them learn from their success rather than their failure, because if they're learning from their failure, one of the things that they're going to learn is, Ooh, that, that caused pain. And that, I didn't really like that. Frankly, I was kind of embarrassed that I didn't get that done. And that's going to, they're not enough in a place where they've experienced enough to put that kind of failure in the right type of, right type of place in their mind, and then keep on going and learning and growing from it. So I want them to learn from their successes. And what that means is we got to help them towards that success. So helping the youth lead looks different in every single ward. And here's what I believe deeply. It starts with this. The youth have got to believe that you truly love them and truly care for them and truly see them and hear them as individuals. I believe that if they see their bishop just kind of going like, hey, who's going to lead next week? All right, great. And you guys got this. And I, I know you can do it. And I'm your biggest cheerleader. And that's it. They're not going to feel a real connection. But if they feel that real connection that I really deeply love them and deeply care for them, they're going to feel like they're allowed to both succeed and fail. And in the moment, ask questions and ask for help when they need it. And if I can get them to that point, Then we can start getting to a place where I'm leading with them. You know, the Savior never left us and said, hey, go walk on your own and then I'll catch up when, you know, when you actually fall down. He walked by us side by side every step of the way. And that's exactly what we need to do with the youth. We need to walk by them side by side every step of the way, making sure that they know that we love them. And through that love comes trust. And then with that trust, we can help build block upon block, you know, moment upon moment every single time they they gain in their ability or their experience in leading. We all know that they have the tools. We just need to give them the experience.
0: Yeah. And do you find that that requires somewhat of a mindset shift with, with as far as the pace of it all? Like it, we sometimes give opportunity for the youth to lead and then we think, okay, they're not really picking up the ball and running with it. So I'll just go ahead and do that. And uh, here we go. And where there's sort of that middle ground where you're walking next to them. And sometimes, Things can unfold a lot more slowly, or they take time, right? The activity may not come together as quickly as you can, or the idea or whatnot. Is that uh, something you've experienced?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, again, there's just there's no if we're going into our leadership in any of our areas of life, or in the church, or particularly in leading the youth, if we go into it with a one size fits all strategy we're going to learn real quick that that doesn't work. Like we, we've we got to be able to adapt and adapting means that you're right. Sometimes it may take a little bit longer. Sometimes they may get it real quick, but it's, it's all about just keeping that constant communication with them and helping them, you know, constant communication doesn't always mean pestering them because go back to my <laughs> earlier comments that, Hey, look, they have a lot going on too. And so I really want to make sure, like, for example, with our preschool and presidency, I want to make sure that, that those young men know that they can ask me and our other leaders, to do anything that they want, if they're if they've gotten to, if we've decided on a plan, but they've gotten too far behind and they need help, ask for help. And they, and we they can ask the leaders, they can ask the other young men for help, they can ask the other boys in the quorum for help. But that's okay, as long as there's just open trust and open communication. And sometimes, as you said, it may go slower. That's all right. Um, sometimes it comes together really fast because you know we just throw things together really fast. Either way, no matter what the speed is. Be comfortable knowing that there's no one size fits all. And our goal is just to help walk by these boys, walk by these young women, walk by these members of our congregation or in our communities, just to, to help them take one step closer to their savior, one step closer on that covenant path, whatever pace that takes.
0: Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Great perspective. Anything is around this concept of leading the youth? And it's sort of uh, focused in on that from the larger principle of, you know, just And uncertain times, moving people forward with goals and visions and things.
2: Anything we've missed there that you'd want to mention? Oh, you know, I I guess I'd love to mention what we did at the end because I did, I I just get so so passionate about it. So, um, and it's just so fun for these youth to see them kind of pick up this mantle and and run. So we told them that we want to do something to celebrate. Their goal uh, was that they had to make progress on one of their goals that they set throughout the summer of heroes and talk to their parents about it. And as long as they made progress on one of those goals and then they talk to their parents about it, they don't even have to tell us what they were. We just, we just want to see their acknowledgement and they're trying, they're trying. We're not judging how much progress they made. Now, some of our youth made incredible progress. I was super impressed with them. Another of our youth made progress in just one area. And I'm also super proud of them because that little progress that they made is better than zero. And they're striving as we're, you know, we're using that word striving. So they're trying to do something. So we said, hey, if you do this, we're going to do this real fun thing for you. And we're not sure what it's going to be, but it's going to be fun. And we had some ideas, all of those we had to throw out the window when, you know, we realized at the end of the summer, we couldn't do the things that we wanted to do in person. And so uh, we were able to, in, in our area, we're able to do something uh, much later. So this happened in, gosh, maybe October, I think, or no, actually November, I think it was early November. Where we got the youth together, so we got to with a really big movie theater, and we were able to social distance them. So we spread them all out. We rented out the movie theater, and we said, "We want you to come for this night. This is going to be celebrating you." And uh, you know, we got them popcorn, and we got them, you know, kind of the drinks, and we just made it this fun thing to be back in the movie theater. Now, first of all, it was this huge novelty just to be back in a movie theater again. Like, holy yes. cow, did that yes. feel incredible? And I recognize there's many parts of the country that still can't do that, and I'm I'm sorry. But we did the mask. We, we followed all the protocols, and we got together in this movie theater, social distancing. And we, you know, the movie theaters are very willing to work with anybody right now. So we, the movie that we chose for the youth was the movie Miracle. It focuses on the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. And it was awesome because, shoot, most of these youth, you know, <laughs> none of them were born then, and most of them yeah. had never seen this movie. And certainly this was not, you know, relevant to them in any, in any particular way. But we watched this movie, and so we, we, you know, we watched the movie, we went through it, and then after the movie, I, I had the, the directors of the movie theater kind of set up some cool things for us. So the first thing that we did is I, I talked to them for a little bit about, you know, kind of, hey, so what did you think about the movie? Was it good? Did you like it? And, you know, if you've ever seen the movie, it's a super feel-good movie. Yeah, it's you know, awesome. Kurt Russell playing Herb Brooks, and it's, it's just, it's really, really great. Um, yeah,
0: the, the locker room speech is, is worth it alone. You know? <laughs> great
2: moments are born from great opportunities, right? Like uh, That yeah. Brooks quote yeah. is just so good. And so, yeah, there are a couple points in the movie that we pointed out. You know, there's one where Coach Brooks is talking to his goalie. And he's like, are you really giving me everything you have? Because I know there's a whole other level in there that you're not even giving me. So we, we talk to youth about that. What does that mean? What do, they, what do they think about that? And then we play this movie for them, a different movie. And it was, I got four of our speakers, our hero speakers to come back and do kind of a check-in, like a shout out to our youth about how they're doing mm. with their goals. It was super cool. So it was, it was um, well, I won't say who it is, but it was, these four great uh, speakers that were, that were part of our summer heroes. They just kind of checked in with us um, and they did this from really cool places. Like one of them was from the world series and it was all this cool stuff. And it was all about like, hey, I believe in you. Like, I know you're doing this. I know you accomplished your goals this summer. Remember the things that we talked about and you got this. And I'm super pumped for you. And then we ended the, you know, kind of the movie and we showed this on the big screen. So it was like all these, you know, yeah. heroes talking to the Hamilton Pool Award youth, you know, on the uh, on the big screen. And then we turned it off. And uh, the quote at the end, there was two quotes. One was a Herberts quote that, you know, uh, great moments are born from great opportunities. And then the other one was Elder Holland from one of his recent conference talks that we didn't come this far only to come this far. Uh, And we had those two quotes up there. And then we talked to them about this. And I, I said, you know, I've had some people tell me recently that everything they're experiencing right now, it's all COVID's fault. Like COVID is to blame for this. Everything in my life is different because of COVID and it's all COVID's fault. And look, the reality is, yeah, a lot of things have changed. And there's always going to be something in our lives that we're going to be, be able to place blame on, and, you know, take out COVID, insert X, Y, Z, and there's going to be another thing that we can pass blame on. But I told them that there's always going to be hard times, but there's also amazing times, great moments that come out of great opportunities. And I, what I wanted to articulate to them that we learned from the movie Miracle is you may not know this, but here's a question for you, Kurt. Do you know when Disney was started? Okay.
0: Uh, like the Disneyland, or no, like Disney, the company? Disney,
2: the actual company before Disneyland even became a thing. Oh man, I'd say nineteen thirty. Yeah, something? you're you're you pretty much nailed it. It was during the Great Depression. Disney was started oh, yeah. during the Great Depression. It was because the Disney brothers said we want to give people a reason to smile. So yeah. Disney was started during the Great Depression, when there was so much pain being experienced in the world. You know, when FedEx was started, FedEx was started during the Great Recession of nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy. You know, when a little company called Microsoft was started? Microsoft was started during a, an oil crisis and a stock crisis coming out of the Great Depression. You know, uh, you heard of someone called uh, Mormon and Moroni? I mean, they lived in one of the most wicked times that we've ever seen on the face of the earth. And yet they brought us the writings. They were two of the authors that brought us the writings that comprised the, the Book of Mormon. Think about Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith lived in a time of massive uncertainty where there's everybody's trying to figure out what church to go to, and he goes and he prays in a grove of trees and is overcome by darkness, so much so that he feels like he has to just completely give up. And yet, in the midst of all those hard trying things, you know, Joseph Smith, for example, becomes, you know, he brings us the Book of Mormon, and becomes the prophet of the restoration. The main point here is that great things come out of these hard and trying times. And that's exactly what's going to happen right now. That's exactly what is being built. The great companies of tomorrow are being built right now during this time in COVID. The great leaders of tomorrow are being built through the fire and brimstone and the things that they're going through right now. You know, Herb Brooks told his players, he said, in that speech that you referenced, he said, you were born to be hockey players. You were born for this moment. And our prophet, President Nelson, has told our youth. You were born for this moment. You were born to be part of the youth battalion, the Lord's youth battalion. You were born to be at this moment of time right now. And I guarantee you, youth, that the Lord is preparing you for great and marvelous things. Your only goal is to open your eyes and recognize the possibilities and the opportunities that are around you. Great moments come from great opportunities. Dare to dream. Dare to set yourselves high set your goals high and really search for them. So, And then we gave them some shirts that, uh, that gave them that quote that, you know, we didn't, we didn't come this far only to come this far. And we're on to our next thing. And we, you know, the priests have their goal and the young women have their goal and the deacons and teachers and deacons have their goals and we're, we're going to do, we're, we're working on our next thing and we're, we're super pumped for it. And it's just, these are our ways, our unique ways of thinking of new ways to lead. And these are not the only ways, like there are a million different ways. Frank, there's I'm sure there's a million different better ways than this but let's think about new ways to lead the people we minister to.
0: Yeah. And it really is go back to that principle of pushing your organization to think outside the box. Right. Yes. Um, and I was going to mention, uh, I just held an event in Idaho falls where we called a movie theater. Cause I thought, man, like if there's any place that's looking for some extra money, like exactly. they'll probably have a theater open. And so, especially during these times, like if you have a youth activity and want to be able to space out, I mean, some of these theaters are huge. If you have even for large youth groups and, I guarantee you any movie theater will work with you, with your budget, you know, because if it's empty or if, even if it has four people watching some old movie, they're not going to make as much on on it. So it, that's a great, great thing to use you're, right
2: you're now. You're so right. And look, I mean, the bottom line is think outside the box, think of new ways of leading, use every talent, every piece of ingenuity that you've been blessed with that we oftentimes use in our own work lives or personal lives, use it here and set your goals high. Like, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Don't be afraid to try new things. You'd be surprised at how many things you can accomplish, especially with the Lord's help, knowing that this is what he wants to see happen anyway. You would just be surprised. It's it's amazing. It's it's amazing yes. to feel part of the Lord's work um, and the work of salvation happening during crazy times like this.
0: Yeah. And I probably should have asked just towards the beginning of the interview, but I'm a sucker for uh, you know leadership research or... Human nature research. And you talk about the SCARF model. Maybe break that. And I think it relates so well to uncertainty. Break that down for us. And uh, I think it's, it'd be a great perspective to have.
2: Yeah, that's right. We didn't, we didn't talk about this. But so I'm a super, I'm a super geek on you know, thinking about how the brain works and le- leadership styles and things. And there's a, a good friend of mine. His name's David Rock. He's the, uh, the founder of the NeuroLeadership Institute. And he wrote a book called Your Brain at Work. And I just I love working with him. I love the way that he thinks, and I love the way that he approaches problems. And one of the, the models that he developed is the SCARF model. SCARF, S-C-A-R-F, stands for Status, Certainty, Autonomy, Relatedness, and Fairness. You can look this up on the web. You can learn more about it. I, I know there's papers published, and there's all these, these different things. But, you know, the brain processes, physical threats, the things that we experience— um, in, in, in the physical threats, similarly in the way that we uh, experience social threats. So if we see a bear coming at us, we get like a fight, um, fight or flight response. And those same types of those threat responses happen or those triggers happen in social environments as well. That, that, that's what brain science tells us. And so as we think about status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness, we can start to put ourselves in these buckets of what's being triggered for us, what matters for us, and what happens when one of those things are triggered? So certainty is a big one for everyone, and that's the lack of certainty is what a lot of people are feeling at this time. And so, as you think about how certainty impacts our ability to lead, you need to recognize that. Here's an example. This is an example, we talked about before. Imagine yourself driving down the road, and you're driving. You're talking to, you know, your spouse, your child, or whoever's is in the passenger seat. And you're in kind of, you know, you're in autopilot mode because you're driving and you've done driving a million times before. And you don't need to necessarily pay attention to every like you don't need to be thinking, OK, my hands are at 10 and 2 and my foot's on the you know, gas and my, I'm ready. to. Rip. You don't need to be going through that checklist because you, you're on autopilot. And so you're talking to I'm, I'm, I'll use my example. I'm talking to my wife. As soon as I see the car in front of me break hard or something come out and, you know, maybe it's a deer dart out in front of me and I see that out of the corner of my eye, immediately my brain goes to, I don't recognize something. And now I'm going into threat response mode. And what Mm -hmm. that means from a brain science perspective is now all energy, all attention, every piece of energy that I have is going into my acute senses to focus on that threat and what to do with that threat. And so immediately I'm going to slam on the brakes and I'm going to maybe swerve if I need to, and I'm going to do the things to keep us safe. That's what happens with our brain in any kind of threat response. And when we're feeling uncertainty, that is this in the social context, that is a threat trigger that we're experiencing. So it becomes really difficult for us as leaders to focus on these new ways of leadership when we go back home and we're thinking about, oh, my gosh, what about I'm not sure if my wife or my husband or my significant other is going to have a job tomorrow. Or we just lost our job, or we're not sure about putting food on the table. We're not sure about, now I have to be a parent of, and a like a teacher all at the same time because my kids are doing school at home. Because of all this newness, we're getting more of this, this certainty, this idea of certainty taken away from us. And when that's taken away, all of our energy starts to focus and hone in on that threat. And it makes it much more difficult for us to focus on you know, being creative and thinking outside the box. And so for the brain, what David Rock would tell us, what he has told us, is that there's you know, three things to really focus on to minimize the impact that those threat responses or those triggers have on us. And not surprisingly, it's kind of the three biofunctions that we need to focus on every single day. It's, it's your diet, it's your sleep, and it's your exercise. And so you need to make sure that you're hydrating. Hydrating deals with your bodily functions and allows you to be able to handle stress at a better level, getting lots of sleep making sure you're getting normal amounts of sleep is going to make, help you to be able to handle those things better. And exercise, regular exercise, whether it's 30 minutes a day or two hours a day, and whatever it is you do, that regular exercise is going to be able to help you maintain your ability to, to handle those threats in a, in a better way. And here's the thing, is that will give you something certain to focus on. It'll give you something certain in your day when you say, okay, I know I'm going to try to go to bed by this time. And I'm trying to wake up by this time. Or I know that I'm going to make sure that I drink this amount this many cups of water every day, or I know that I'm going to go for a walk at this time of day. As you set that schedule, it'll bring a level of certainty into your life that will help you gain back a feeling of sense of control over the things that you can control that has amazing ability to lower our stress levels and increase our ability to to deal with those triggers.
0: Yeah. And I'm just thinking, you know, in the in the church leadership context, like obviously, you know, every bishop or relief side president, you know, that's sort of juggling things needs to make sure they're doing those three things and, and, you know, the other basics, but really stepping back and saying, okay, like what can we do as a ward to continue stimulating the building of the kingdom and the gospel and, you know, go back to the basics, the scripture study, the prayer, the meditation, those things. And then as you sort of regroup, then that's what, creates enough stability for you to say, okay, now we're going to start thinking outside the box with our new circumstances and move forward as an organization.
2: 100%. One of our heroes over the uh, summer said, embrace the boring. This person was an athlete and they said that you know one of the reasons that they felt like they were better at their sport than most is because they were willing to embrace the boring and embrace the minutiae, which is the same things over every single day. So just because we tell you that you need to get you know, regular sleep, regular diet, regular exercise. You need to say your prayers. You know, I, I hope it's five times a day. It's morning, night, plus three times with a meal. But, you know, it's at least that um, it's you're reading your scriptures. You know, you come follow me. All the things, all the Sunday school answers that, you know, the young men are certainly very, and young women are certainly very tired of hearing from their bishops. Those things matter. They're, people are going to figure out how to deal with these things and really accelerate their learning and your growth during these times of uncertainty are the ones that are willing to embrace the boring, embrace the things that are the simple, straightforward things that we talk about every single time. Just because they're boring, just because they're the same things that we always talk about and there's nothing new there, does not make them any less impactful. In fact, it makes them the most impactful because it makes them the most consistent and the most certain things that we do.
0: Amen, brother. Well, uh, is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we hit before we wrap
2: up? Oh man! Just that uh, I have a huge amount of love for those that are that are trying to focus on being a great leader and serving the people that they minister to. God be with you. This is a great time. I mean, it's a very unique time to be a leader in a church calling. We're experiencing a whole bunch of news. You know, we we went from three hours to two hours not too long ago, and now we're going from two hour to one hour in a lot of places. We're going from one hour to church at home in a lot of places. There's a whole lot of new. And as Elder Bednar has said, you know, put on your seatbelt. And as we've seen from our, our leaders, and our, our beloved prophet, uh, we're seeing a whole bunch of new. And he's inviting us to embrace it, to em- embrace that new normal. And so I'm just sending a whole lot of love and empathy and support for all those leaders around the world that are really trying to follow a prophet's voice and do the best that they can with all the faculties that they've been given. God bless them, and uh, you're doing great work.
0: All right, Jeff, the last question I have for you is as you reflect on your time uh, being a leader and serving in these leadership callings, has that how has that made you a better follower of Jesus Christ?
2: You know, um, I feel like I've been doing this for a while in that I've been ministering. I've, I'm a convert to the church. I joined the church about a little over 20 years ago. I joined uh, when I was 20. And that was a whole new journey for me. And it was a journey to grow in my relationship with my Savior. And in every opportunity that I've had to serve, I've had to exercise my priesthood uh, or the priesthood that I hold, that I've had an opportunity to serve others, that I've, that I've felt the Spirit based on you know, something that we're doing. Each one of those things has grown my testimony and helped me, to given me the desire to want to be a better disciple of Christ. There's always kind of the the behind-the-doors joking of nobody wants to be a bishop, and oh, I'm so sorry if you get called to be a bishop. And I can tell you flat out that this has been my absolute favorite calling that I've ever had. And I've had a lot of, I mean, I thought the gospel doctrine was my favorite calling. And I'm not a nerd for trying to just have a bunch of callings. It's that the way that I've learned to love people, the way that I've learned to rely on my personal relationship with my Savior, to solve the things that, I just don't know how to do Um, to recognize that sometimes, you know, when I'm sitting there going, Oh my gosh, what would this other Bishop do? What would this other Bishop do? Or what would Kurt do? What would, what would anybody else that I imagine in my life that I really respect, what would they do that I can pause and I can go, you know what? It doesn't matter what they would do. It only matters what Jeff would do because the Lord has called me. The Lord has sustained me. And as long as I'm doing my best to be close to him everything else will figure itself out. And I've just grown so much in my relationship with my Savior as I've been able to serve in this calling and in others. So, my leadership and my ability, or at least my opportunity to have leadership callings or have leadership opportunities independent of callings has made me a better disciple of Jesus Christ because it's it's helped me grow in my personal relationship with my Savior. And I think as I do that, I do what Sister Craig says is I'm I'm able to see others as the Lord would see them. And that has helped my heart grow 10 sizes and helped my patience grow 10 sizes and really helped me to see people as they can be.
0: That concludes my interview with Jeff Harbach. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to like run through a brick wall like I'm so motivated that was so inspiring uh, you can see why he is not only an effective bishop but also an effective CEO of the his company so really good it, seriously it's movie night I think the movie miracle is on Disney plus if you have Disney plus and this is not an ad for Disney plus though if Disney wants to write me a check you can go to leading and hit that donate button and that goes for you too that are listening you can always contribute anyways I digress uh, just great great uh, interview with Jeff and I'm inspired by it. I hope, again, we don't share these ideas so that you can carbon copy them and you're just gonna now go through this uh, speaker and movie theater idea. But nonetheless, it kind of gives you a model of how to start thinking out of the box and mentoring youth along in this effort. And uh, going back to the movie, (laughs) I'm sorry, gotta go, go watch it, but movies have such a powerful way to talk about and teach principles than any other media and I get it like some movies are maybe not the type of movies you want to show to a youth group or whatever but clips and things like that I've just found a lot of success in even showing a clip or watching a, a full movie with a, a group or with an organization and then talking about the principles in that movie you know the hero's journey is in in most movies and uh, inviting people into that journey in their own right or or inspiring an organization to do that is uh, is really effective through through movies so just just food for thought there. And I would love to hear any other ideas like the youth, especially with youth that people are trying to, as far as inspiring them to set goals, unique activities you came up with thinking outside the box, because you sharing your idea and me and, you know, sharing it to the leading saints world, again, not to, so that others can just carbon copy your idea, but uh, it's going to inspire them to say, ah... Now I see what thinking outside the box looks like. And uh, I think there's some things, some unique things we could do in our own area. So go to LeadingSaints.org slash contact and send me a message. And uh, I'd love to hear from you and pass those ideas on. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter.